thanks once again for listening to Thinking Biblically About Things That Matter. Um, for our last episode, uh, we had Mark Baumgartner teaching about the sovereignty of God. And he, he's doing a, a two-part series. So we had, the, we had the first part in our last episode. And uh, he covered the, the sovereignty of God um, just from, from Scripture, kind of an overview. He, we had a definition. We had the consequential denials and then the details of God's sovereignty. This week, um, for this episode, he is going to um, talk about um, God's sovereignty and human suffering. So um, I know that this will be a, a blessing to you, and thanks for listening. And so without further ado, here's um, Mark Baumgartner on the sovereignty of God and human suffering. When I uh, look at the mystery of sovereignty and suffering, I think immediately of two questions that affect all of us who are believers in Christ and belong to a local church. How best do we love and serve those who are suffering? And then, how do we prepare our own hearts for the day when we ourselves experience it. Let me say at the, at the beginning, I, I don't have all the answers. And really, I, I do this lesson with considerable hesitation. I had originally planned... Uh, when Steve asked me to to take two lessons on the uh, attributes of God, I had planned to do only one lesson on the sovereignty of God and then the second lesson on another of God's attributes. But I've been greatly impressed, I hope, by the Spirit of God Uh, to do this lesson. Maybe it's because of the onslaught of burdens, knowing uh, just since I've recently become an elder, some of the, the struggles that people are now facing. But allow me this morning to share seven observations. There were uh, many more that I could share this morning, but because of of time, uh, I uh, dwindled them down to these seven observations. And I... I do hope that they are grounded in God's word and that they are received in the spirit in which um, they are intended. 
Before we look at those seven observations, I, I need to say something about the word suffering. To some, the word only um, conveys prolonged pain, affliction, or persecution for our faith. I want us to think of it in a much broader sense. Uh, And I would include uh, the troubles of life, as Jesus put it, Uh, the trials of life, as James put it, puts it in his epistle, the hardships of life, even the natural disasters of life, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, droughts, those kinds of things that do affect us in an adverse way, the losses of life, family, friends, job, house, and the perplexities and challenges of life. In fact, those of you who are listening by um, audio podcast, I am sure that most of you, if not all of you, are facing some real challenges in your life. And so let's keep that in mind as we proceed through. And and when I use the word suffering this morning. First observation. There is no benefit whatsoever to deny what God's word so clearly teaches that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. In the end, we do not know why he makes one choice and not another. Our greatest struggle, like Job, is affirming God's sovereignty even when misfortune strikes. In Job chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 25, um, if you have your Bible there, you can, you can turn with me to Job chapter 12. I wish uh, <clears throat> we could expound verse by verse Job chapter 12, but we can't. I just want to make a few comments about verse 13. But let me also read verses 1 through 12. And remember, Job is in the midst of his severe suffering. And he is also in the midst of the bad advice from his wife and his so-called friends. And notice what he says, beginning at verse 1. Then Job answered and said, 
No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughing stock to my friends. I who who called to God and he answered me. A just and blameless man am a a laughing stock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers are at peace. And those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. But asks the beasts, and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens, and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? What what an affirmation of the sovereignty of God. Let me read verse 9 again. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this. In his hand, verse 10, is the life of every living thing <coughs> and the breath <coughs> excuse me, of all mankind. <coughs> Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. Now notice verse 13. With God are wisdom and might. You know, wisdom, those are the two prerequisites for sovereignty. Wisdom and might. That he is omniscient and omnipotent. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. It's Job's way of saying that God does not merely have the power to enforce whatever he decrees, but with a greater emphasis, Job assures us that what God decrees has been has been determined in light of all he knows, in light of his infinite wisdom and counsel and understanding. It's his way of assuring us that whatever God ordains has been ordained in light of a knowledge and a wisdom <clears throat> beyond our knowing a counsel beyond our knowing, a knowledge that encompasses the whole picture, the part of the picture we can't see and must trust to see for me. He alone, as Isaiah tells us, knows the end from the beginning. 
God looks at all of history from the beginning of time. He he knew everything that would happen. He knew the end from the beginning. He saw everything that would ever happen at any moment in history before any moment in history ever came to be. Not one detail of any situation nor any possible scenario revolving from any situation was overlooked. It was all taken into account. And not just in relation to you, but in relation to everyone and everything around you. Which means that when God ordains that things should happen in a certain way, it is because he in his infinite wisdom has considered everything there is to consider and in light of it all has chosen the wisest and the best option even if it doesn't seem that way to us. And so we must, like Job, acknowledge in the end and join the Apostle Paul's triumphant doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Second observation. God is sovereign, not Satan. Satan can do nothing to anyone without God's permission. That's why Martin Luther could rightly say, the devil is God's devil. That is, Satan, God permits him to do and nothing more. And worse than that, Everything Satan does, God then takes and uses for his good pleasure. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 24. You see, folks, Satan like a dog on God's leash. And God gives him a little space to run 
and the dog runs out and God yanks back on the leash and the dog is brought back. Because Satan is a dog on God's leash. Several years ago, one of the the residents at Robin Hood in Grace Village where we live had a dog that would charge you when you walked. First time that happened to me, it scared me to death. And um, he was he was told to fix it. He he didn't he was a new resident and he didn't know the rules about <clears throat> about dogs and so he put the dog on a leash and tied the end to the small tree in the front yard. And when I walked by after he did that, the dog would still charge. But the leash (laughs) yanked him back. I kind of chuckled under breath, forgive me, Lord, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you see, the owner gave him so much room. When he gets to the, to the end of the rope, he, he can't do anything except stand there and in frustration bark at you like he wants to bite you, but he can't do it. Well, the same is true of God and Satan. God gives Satan so much rope and Satan cannot do one thing more than what God allows him to do. Third observation. When suffering occurs, People want to know the where and the why questions. Where was God? And why did he allow this? May I share some advice? Don't be anxious to answer. But don't be afraid to answer either. We must never apologize for what Scripture teaches concerning the sovereignty of God. In time, help them wrestle with the truth that Moses declared in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. There it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That is, they are for him and for him alone to know. And he has neither good reason or moral obligation to reveal them to us. In fact, he can't. Because to understand all the infinite mysteries of God, we would have to be God ourselves. 
which means there are some things, in my opinion, that we will never know, not even in eternity. For those things, we must merely trust him. But as Moses goes on to say in that verse, the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. Meaning that we must believe and affirm the things God has revealed to us while we continue to trust him, even into eternity, for the things he has not chosen to reveal to us. The issue is, do we trust him? Do we trust him? Fourth observation. The sufferings, the trials, the hardships, the troubles, all remind us that we will all one day die if Jesus does not return first. Some may die by natural causes at age 95. Some may die by a sudden heart attack at age 50. Or others by a car accident at age 16. Or by a slow battle with cancer at any age. But we will all likewise die. And the only secure place to be in now and forever is sheltered safely in the arms of God as Dottie Dottie Rambo's title to one of her songs puts it. Out of which no heart attack or car accident or cancer and snatch us out. Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Some of the greatest <clears throat> verses in all of Scripture. Is, Who shall separate? From the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. Excuse me. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor any else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
Fifth observation. We must pray, serve, help, comfort, give, and show mercy to those who suffer. One of the great lessons we learn from the book of Job is the need to be more compassionate and gentle and patient with those who experience prolonged suffering and pain. Something which I can't even relate to. We we need to do what Jesus would do. You know, there are countless why Jesus is so appealing, so alluring. There are some, if you were to ask them, what is the most striking feature of Jesus in his life and ministry? They would point to his teaching. He was one who spoke with authority. For some, it's his, it's his power that draws them. For others, it's his knowledge or his patience, wavering and ignorant disciples, or his endurance of every obstacle that he faced. And we could go one that stands out to me perhaps more than and the reason it does because talking about over and over again in God's word we are told in reference to his life and ministry to people in it was because he was moved with compassion. The simple answer is that he loved people. And when they were he was hurting. And when they were in grief, he was grieved. And our Lord took steps to alleviate the suffering and anguish. May God help us to do the same with those who are suffering. Sixth observation. Learn from your suffering and the sufferings of others as well. Don't waste it. Pray that God will use it to change and transform you to be more like Jesus. Consider the experience of those Christians described in Hebrews 10, 32 through 34. And ask, 
how might I develop a perspective on life and possessions like theirs? Let me read Hebrews. Chapter 13, verses 32 through 34. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being broach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully since you knew that you yourselves had a, a better possession and an abiding one. I read that and I say, that's not me. Forgive me, Lord, it's, it's just not me. I want that to be me. I want to be like them. I want to have such a, a loose grip on my stuff that in serving the body, of Christ and showing compassion to those in prison and being publicly exposed with reproach and affliction and whoever, the government or thieves who break in merely because I'm a Christian and they steal everything I got, they just plunder it that I can say I joyfully accepted the plundering of my property? How did they do it? Because they knew that they had a possession that was better and abiding and eternal. Their hearts were invested in the inheritance that they had in Christ and the future that is all theirs in the new heaven and new earth. Now, did it hurt them when they lost their property? Did they experience sorrow and grief? Oh, you bet they did. And yet, they simultaneously could with joy look to all that God had given them in Christ and say, you can't take that. You can't take that. And now the the, the seventh 
the seventh and final observation. And it's this. In the final analysis, make God your supreme treasure, for he is the only thing in the universe we can turn to, who is sovereign in wisdom and power, and who alone is worthy of our faith and hope. And let let me close with Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26, where the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I trust that these principles, these observations have been an encouragement to you. I know they have been to me, especially as we seek to know best how to, as I said in the beginning, love and serve those who suffer. And then also how we can prepare our our own hearts for the day when we ourselves go through the misfortune that strikes us and experience suffering ourselves. May God bless each one of you. Thanks. Thank you, Mark, for um, that lesson. Uh, is, a, is a blessing to me. Hopefully, it'll be a blessing to many of us. Um, and uh, and like I say often, um, if the 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 lessons, the, the the episodes that we have here on the podcast, um, if you want to discuss them with us, if you want to, um, if you've heard anything about the sovereignty of God, e- either in the previous episode or or in this episode about sovereignty of God and in human suffering, if you've heard anything that's kind of you want to talk more about, you have questions about it, or you want to sit and talk with me about it, or you want to reach out to, to Mark and talk with him about it. Um, many, many years of, of faithful service um, as a pastor, and so he has much experience, um, and he, he, would be a, he would be a blessing to talk to. So if you'd like to talk to one of us about it, please reach out um, to the church, and we can set up a time. Uh, we'd love to set up a time to talk with you um, uh, about um, the sovereignty of God, uh, how it interacts with human suffering, um, and so we would love to uh, love to talk with you about it. And and um, now next week we're going to start a new series here on the podcast um, on productivity. What does it mean? What does the Bible mean uh, when it talks about human productivity? Um, what does it mean to be productive in a way that glorifies God? So until then, thanks for listening.